if you're not taking climate change, I guess start looking at it from planning and operational side of things. Um, you're going to reach the point where you can't operate sustainably. Mm-hmm. Um, forest practices of the past and the present will not necessarily be what's sustainable for the future. And so, you know, taking that business as usual approach and kind of maybe burying our heads in the sand Mm -hmm. and saying, well, you know, it's too big for us to tackle, so we're not going to tackle it. Yeah. um, Is a lot of companies are realizing now that they can't do that because they're having a struggle achieving their sustainable forest management objectives currently. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. And they're already facing some issues with climate variability Mm -hmm. and the extremes Mm -hmm. right at the operational day-to-day on the ground. And this is translating into impacts of keeping the mills going. Mm -hmm. And this is happening now. Hey guys, what's happening? Welcome to Your Forest. I'm Matthew Kristoff. On this podcast, we talk about the environment and the science of sustainability. So uh, today's episode is all about climate adaptation. It's kind of a follow-up to a previous episode I did with Jason Edwards. And uh, we're talking specifically about adapting the forest industry to climate change. Not just the forest industry, um, the people involved in this in this episode, they're actually working with uh, with other industries and uh, and governments and all kinds of different groups to try to help them adapt to the oncoming changes. Um, so we're not specifically talking about, I mean, like you know how seed zones are moving or or, or how you know how the ecology is going to move or whatever. It's more about how the landscape of challenges will change and how we must adapt to those. Um, well, we have to adapt to them or fail, really, ultimately, in the end. And uh, it's about assessing the vulnerability and building resilience into the system. Um, at least that's my take, my kind of summary, my breakdown of the system. Uh, obviously, Sherry and Mark will do a much better job of explaining this to you. <laughs> so you guys will really, really like listening to them. They have uh, yeah, a lot of great, a lot of great perspective to share, that's for sure. So on this episode, I had the opportunity to sit down and speak with Dr. Sherry Andrews-Key, and also Dr. Mark Johnston. Uh, They're both distinguished research scientists with the uh, Saskatchewan Research Council, and they both have a lot of background in climate change adaptation and, 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 you know, challenges that come with climate change. So they're really excellent people to have on. Um, And we're speaking specifically about a case study that Sherry actually did. And uh, she worked with Mystic Environmental, a group out of Saskatchewan, and we went through the details, not super specific details, but the general idea of what they went through um, doing this climate adaptation thing, the challenges they came up with, and sort of the solutions they they, they ended up finding in the end. And uh, yeah, it was a really, really excellent conversation. I really appreciated getting both of them on. I would love to have them on again. Uh, they really just broke it down in simple terms and were very realistic about it. You know, this wasn't a conversation about policy and that kind of stuff. It was a real conversation about how can this actually be done, which was awesome. So I appreciate you guys for coming on and speaking plainly. It was great. Um, yeah, sponsors for this episode. 
Uh, number one sponsor for 2019 is West Fraser. I can't thank West Fraser enough for their funding this year. Uh, it has made this podcast possible. It's made it what it is. Made me able to get excellent guests and to spend more time working on it. So uh, thank you very, very much. Uh, another sponsor is Greenlink Forestry. Greenlink Forestry has been a sponsor since the beginning, and I couldn't thank them enough. This, again, wouldn't be possible without their help. And also uh, Damaged Timber. Damaged Timber is an apparel company out of Alberta, out of Edmonton, actually. And uh, yeah, they support environmental sciences through the sale of their clothing. Uh, hats, toques, all kinds of cool stuff. Really the best quality. He, he really makes sure to have the best stuff in there. Check them out at DamagedTimber.com. Put in your forest 10 at checkout, and you can get 10% off. So, yeah, without any further messing around, let's get right into it, talking with uh, Sherry and Mark about adapting to climate change. Let's do this. Here we go. So, uh, we should start out just kind of do quick, brief introductions. Um, So, Sherry, I'll start with you. Uh, You just finished your your postdoctorate or whatever how do you how do you say that if postdoctorate fellow i saw on your on your email <laughs> yeah um well i have my phd mm-hmm. and uh i'm currently in my postdoctoral fellowship with yeah. ubc gotcha with the faculty of forestry and i'm also a research scientist at the saskatchewan research council yep. where i'll be transitioning to be a full-time research scientist there okay the end of or the beginning of February once uh, I'm wrapping up the postdoc. Okay, and that's in the climate adaptation field. Yeah, yeah, okay. climate adaptation, mm-hmm. and uh, I specialize in forestry, but um, finding that there's a lot of interest in other from other sectors in what I do and lots of applicability. So, oh, I'm sure. Yeah, yeah, awesome. Okay, yeah. Mark. Yeah, so I'm senior research scientist at the Saskatchewan Research Council. I've been there since 2001. Okay. And have been working all that time on either climate change adaptation in the forestry sector or on mitigation, again, related okay. to forest management. Oh. So a lot of work on carbon sequestration and that okay. kind of stuff. Awesome. And um, starting in 2008, there was a meeting of the Council of the Federation, which is all the provincial premiers met mm-hmm. in Vancouver. And at that time, it was just after the big forest fires in Kelowna, where mm-hmm. a whole bunch of houses had burned down and so forth. Mm-hmm. And so the premier of British Columbia, Gordon Campbell at the time, was impressing upon the other premiers the importance of climate change and in BC's case, the impact on forests. Okay. And so he managed to uh, twist all the other premier's arms into agreeing in a, what do they call that, a, a manifesto or a, a a thing that they publish at the end, yeah, whatever that is, <laughs> some political um, thing. Yeah. Yep, <laughs> that uh, climate change and force was a nationally important issue that really needed to be dealt with, and they mm-hmm. all agreed. And so, what happened then was the responsibility for doing work on that was passed on to the Can- Canadian Council of Forest Ministers. Right. The Canadian Council of Forest Ministers struck a committee made up of provincial representatives, climate change task force, and they in turn brought together a bunch of kind of uh, people who who had been working in this area, like myself and uh, some of Jason's predecessors. He mm-hmm. wasn't involved at the time, but some of his other colleagues mm-hmm. and people from all across the country. So it was a truly a national initiative. Right. And so we spent about 10 years developing um, a framework for how to do vulnerability assessment in the forest sector, a guidebook that mm-hmm. uh, Sherry will talk about more in detail uh, that Jason was the primary author of, and then some supporting documents 
that were more technical in terms of how do you use climate data mm -hmm. to generate future climate scenarios, for example, and a bunch of things like that. Okay. So we walked through that entire procedure. And as I said, it took about 10 years. <clears throat> and when that sort of concluded, we were starting to look for opportunities to test it. Mm -hmm. And so the Manitoba government took it on and they were doing a force management plan for a management unit in the southeast corner of the province called Sandy Lands. Okay. Uh, very uh, droughty soil and prone to, to drought, low productivity jack pine, you know, that kind of scenario. And so they thought that this was going to be a good place to look at climate change because it's already on the knife edge of drought many years. Mm -hmm. And we have places like that in Saskatchewan too. Mm -hmm. So anyway, they, they walked through the procedure as a, not only an opportunity to make use of it in their management plan, but also an opportunity to test it. Mm -hmm. So we got a lot of good learning out of that. Nice. Um, and kind of at that point, we were still looking for opportunities to test it. Mm -hmm. And, um, Sherry at that point had decided to go back for a PhD. And so we started talking about maybe there's an opportunity to do something in Saskatchewan that would also involve the use of the framework and the guidebook. And so yeah. On. No, that's awesome. It's that, a, it's, it's such a huge problem to try to begin to tackle. Right. Yes. So I applaud you guys for, yes. for taking the first steps to try and be like, okay, where to begin? How do we do this? <laughs> and, you know, for, for years we've been talking to the forest sector and particularly forest industry about, you guys really need to take this seriously. This yeah. is something you can't just, you know, sort of pretend it isn't there. And they said, yeah, yeah, yeah. But then they kind of didn't. And so at some point, again, early on in the this thing, we were sort of feeling a bit frustrated. And then suddenly a light bulb came on and we realized that their primary concern is keeping the mills open and keeping people employed. Mm -hmm. And that if climate change is going to be part of what they deal with, it can't be something set aside to be separate. It's yeah. got to be incorporated into their day-to-day decision-making and, yeah. and planning. And so, again, mainstreaming is the word for that. Sherry will talk more about that. Um, and so we gradually began to see that that part of our responsibility was to develop approaches that would easily fit into how sustainable forest management is done in Canada. And so this whole exercise with the Climate Change Task Force and all that stuff was designed specifically for how forests are managed in, in Canada. Awesome. Um, so it, it's, on the one hand, it's generic. It actually follows a, a sort of a higher level system that was developed by the Intergovernmental Panel on Climate Change. So it comes from the international community. And we took the basic outline of that and sort of brought it down to the forest sector in Canada. Awesome. So... One of the things we really like about it is that it's designed to be applied to local circumstances, mm -hmm. to local landscape, local management objectives, local mm -hmm. policy environment, all of that stuff. So it's so the product you get out of this is tailored to a local situation awesome. rather than being some kind of a top down, you know, we know best, here's what you should be doing. <laughs> we don't. And yeah. so it's it's the force managers that come to the table with all the local information yep. that allows them to think about adaptation with our guidance and our, our help yeah. and, and using these tools that we've developed. Right. Well, and, and like you said, like, I think part of it was the reluctance to right, like, like you said, there's the business aspect of it and keeping the mill open. Cause that's mm -hmm. why they're in business and whatever. Yep. But yep. also I think it's just like we said at the very beginning, the overwhelming yes. size of this problem. And they go, well, I'm a forester. Yeah. I know how to like how trees grow and I know how water's related, but right. like you're talking about climate change. It's like, man, that's, yeah. that's another level of stuff that they're not, you know what I mean? Yeah. Not necessarily looking into on a day-to-day -day basis. Yeah. So it's, it's, it, it seems beyond them, right? Like myself right. included, just, it goes over, it's like, well, that's, 
how? Because I mean, you know what I mean? Like, like you were saying with ecology, I mean, are we going, not everything, it's all going to change, but it's all going to change differently based mm-hmm. off elevation. And, and like you said, the soils and the whatever. So it's, it's a fascinating problem. And I think that's the, like you guys said, the main thing that was needed was a framework, some kind of way yeah. to dial a, it down a, and a make structure. it structure. Yes. Somewhere to start. So yeah. this is awesome. The, yeah. I often think, especially earlier on, I often think of an episode of Star Trek, the original Star <laughs> Trek. And they're on the bridge of the Enterprise and they're looking at that big view screen and there's some thing out there that's a big blob, <laughs> but they can't really tell what it is. That was climate change, yeah. you know, 10 years ago. Yeah. And so people knew that there was an issue there, but they couldn't figure out how to grapple with it. Yeah. And I think the products that, that we've produced allow that to happen. For sure. So like okay. you said. Um, and whoever wants to answer whatever. Um, I wanted to quickly just get into what's like what's at stake here. And I know every area is different and it's it's not like you can't say what's going to happen for every, you know, FMA or whatever. But um, as far as climate change is concerned, if, 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 if an organization or the government wasn't to begin adaptation, what would be what would be the concern? What's at stake there? Generally speaking, obviously, like at, at a, at a, we'll say like average it out across a national scale to make it a little easier to. Right. I would say at a national scale, like, or even at a local scale, if you're not taking climate change, I guess, start looking at it from planning and operational side of things, um, you're going to reach the point where you can't operate sustainably. Mm-hmm. Um, forest practices of the past and the present will not necessarily be what's sustainable for the future. Right. And so, you know, taking that business as usual approach and kind of maybe burying our heads in the sand mm-hmm. and saying, well, you know, it's too big for us to tackle, so we're not going to tackle it. Yeah. Um, is a lot of companies are realizing now that they can't do that because they're having a struggle achieving their sustainable forest management objectives currently Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. and they're already facing some issues with climate variability Mm -hmm. and the extremes Mm -hmm. right at the operational day-to-day on the ground and this is translating into impacts of keeping the mills going Mm -hmm. and this is happening now yeah and i can go into that with the mystic example sure so i think that um you know, it, it's not a, not a matter of if we choose to do this. It's a matter of when you decide that you're going to actually take the step to do it. Mm-hmm. And um, probably the longer that you wait, the more that it's going to cost you because yep. you're having to become more and more reactive mm-hmm. in what you're doing out there. Mm-hmm. And you really are putting yourself at an advantage if you start the process and at least, you know, there's always going to be the uncertainty, but at least being able to identify areas where you're vulnerable Mm -hmm. and then looking at where you can set up, um, your monitoring, um, adaptations and lots of adaptations are really low cost, low risk and things that they can do on the ground now. Mm -hmm. Um, so, you know, starting that process and that, there's the real danger that the longer you leave it, mm-hmm. um, the the more sort of, I guess, the more cost it's going to come down to. Because really, at the end of the day, if it begins to cost too much, 
to be in business and you can't be sustainable, you're not going to be there. Yeah. So even from a business perspective, this is in everyone's interest, right? Not just ecologically. Yeah. Yeah. Not just for the future of the forest, but just from an uh, economic perspective, it's for every reason, right? We need to be done. So Mm -hmm. that's awesome. That's a perfect summary of of, of the reasons why, right? We we make a lot of reference throughout all of these tools and the work that we do um, to the criteria and indicators of sustainable forest management from Mm -hmm. the CCFM. Yeah. And, you know, it takes a very little time to walk through each one of those six criteria and say, oh, climate change will affect this. Climate change will affect this. Mm. So it's not, um, you know, it's not a lot of work to start to understand how that's going to affect sustainable forest management. For sure. Absolutely. Um, So just one more thing briefly before we get into the example, the mystic example. Um, We're talking about adaptation um, for the purpose of this conversation, at least. Um, What are we adapt like what i know we're adapting to climate change but what are we adapting is what i should say well depending on like when you go through the process Mm -hmm. of using the ccfm framework you start to basically unpack your sustainable forest management system Mm -hmm. and that is from the biophysical pieces Mm -hmm. all the way to those human and social Mm -hmm. elements of it and you are you are assessing what is vulnerable in each one of those pieces, every part of your system. So everything, everything. And then you're okay. yeah, and then you're coming up with adaptations for them. Okay. And the adaptations they can be you know just really simple things, mm-hmm. or then you when you really start to drill down into those things, you start to identify where you're. You know, we're vulnerable, not necessarily like under a climate change lens, we're vulnerable, but we could be vulnerable even more because of potential challenges and barriers mm. to being able to adapt mm. on within operations, within planning, um, you know, things like regeneration, mm-hmm. um, operation wise access, uh, you know, issues with policy and regulation, um, maybe challenges and barriers with finances, company finances. How far can we really go mm-hmm. with adaptation? Where do we need more knowledge? Uh, all these types of things, right? So um, the whole so system they, needs to change, basically. Yeah. Well, it doesn't need to change. Mm-hmm. That's <laughs> that. No, it doesn't. Okay. We. When you really start to get into this, the tools are there. Okay. Um, we have fantastic tools to do sustainable forest management. And lots of smart people. And industry mm. really does a great job. Mm. And they have the tools there. Mm. It's just often looking at things under a different context with a different lens. Gotcha. And just, you know, maybe just, I guess, having... um opening your mind to look at it with climate change like we talked about at the beginning this big ominous cloud right this like oh my god i have so many things in my day-to-day operations how am i supposed to deal with this on top of it and you know and then there's the perception of like climate change and modeling and oh so i take what models do i use and what projections do i look at and all these things can be extremely overwhelming for sure especially when you're a forest manager and you've got those day-to-day things to, and and the mills like yelling at you because you got to get that wood to the mill yeah so 
you know, there's a lot of responsibilities on your plate. So what, you know, this process allows you to do is it helps you identify the tools that you already have in your system. And it's not about changing your system. Gotcha. It's about um, using the science, assessing your vulnerability, and continuing what we've always done to look for the best practices. Awesome. And the best practices based on the best scientific knowledge and understanding that we have currently. Mm -hmm. And, you know, and not to, like, forget that people out there doing forest management, they are experts. Of course. They know their FMA better than anybody else. Mm -hmm. So the idea is that with this framework and this process, we can help them just do what they do mm. better, better. Awesome. Yeah. yeah. And just by identifying your vulnerabilities, even if you don't have an answer as to how to change it, you've already increased your adaptive capacity because you've identified we're vulnerable to this. This is something where we have a gap or, or, you know, we're lacking understanding or, or the technology. This is something that we is on our radar now mm -hmm. and needs to be more of a priority. Yeah. That's awesome. I like that. Mm -hmm. That's awesome to hear though. It's not like, Hey, we need to, we need to scrap everything and restart. It's like, no, 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 no. no. We just need to slightly change our perspective and start mm -hmm. to see things through a wider lens yeah. and, and have, yeah. have awareness. Yeah. Right. Yeah. Yeah, awareness. It's a big part of it. It seems like a lot of issues. Like I just did one on Indigenous consultation and same kind of thing, right? It was like, listen, there's just, there's things being missed here. And mm -hmm. they're, it's not all that crazy complicated. We just need to, different perspective, step step back, right? Yep. So yeah. yeah, no, it's interesting. That's awesome. Mm -hmm. That's good to hear. Well, one thing that I, I find really interesting, and this goes back to the very beginning of this stuff more than 10 years ago, is the influence of corporate culture. On the the willingness to kind of take a stab at this stuff and and get started. Everyone listening just frowned and got angry, <laughs> held their wallets closer. <laughs> so you know what what we find, and this applies to governments as well as it does to industry, is that there are organizations that are very progressive and anxious to adopt new tools because they know that this is something they need to address. Yeah. And there are others that, well, my grandfather did it this way and my father did it this way, so I'll continue to do it this way. Mm. They don't really have any interest in being innovative. Mm -hmm. And that makes all the difference. Yeah. And so what one of the things that we try to do is work with the early adopters and the people that are the progressive ones mm -hmm. and hope that the their neighbors are going to be looking over the fence and say, oh, well, that looks like a pretty good idea. Maybe I'll try that. Yeah. And spread the word that way. Yeah. No, that totally makes sense. Yeah, that's. Yeah, there is a reluctance to try new things, too, out of fear of, mm -hmm. of making a mistake and looking like an idiot, too, right? right. There's that as well, well I suppose. And but. the other thing is that, as we know... Um, Forestry in Canada is a highly regulated activity, mm -hmm. and a lot of companies are worried about if they put a foot wrong, the government's going to come down on them like a ton of bricks. There's a lot of responsibility and, on their shoulders, for yeah. sure. Mm -hmm. And yeah. so they, they don't want to put themselves in the position of making a mistake. Yeah. But again, what we find is that if there is communication between the regulators and in the industry, yeah. and they sit down and say, let's try some things, mm -hmm. here's why we want to do it, here are the potential outcomes, um, here is the level of risk that we need to be tolerant of in order to do this, mm -hmm. that in many cases, everybody's willing to give it a try. Yeah. It, it, it can work. Yeah. No, I, I totally agree. I think that yeah, just that open communication, making sure that you've covered your bases and you don't feel vulnerable to attack if, if you try something and it doesn't right. go as well as you planned. Right. So, yeah. Okay. Awesome. I think we've covered or we've got a good introduction into this subject and we can get into the nitty gritty of, 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 so let's get into this case study that you, uh, that you headed off. 
Well, I just I wanted to mention too, Mark had said how long he's been working at this. Yeah. So Mark and I have known each other for just over twenty years. Yeah. And we originally started working together when I did my masters. Okay. Um, but twenty years ago. And in, in the same area. Uh, in this in sustainable forest management and climate change. Okay, yeah. So back then we started <laughs> and we were working with um companies in Alberta, Saskatchewan, and Manitoba. Mm -hmm. And uh we did a, a small case study with Louisiana Pacific in Swan River, Manitoba. And we did a very, you know, I guess elementary compared to the yeah. framework now, but we started off with a, a small climate vulnerability framework to identify sensitivities on their land base. Yeah. At that time, the government wasn't really ready. They weren't thinking in that context, mm -hmm. but you know, they were willing to take a chance, the company and, and do this. So it's, it's kind of interesting then about, you know, just under 20 years later, Mark and I were chatting and I said, I'm ready to do the PhD. Yeah. And the CCFM framework had just come out in March of 2015. Good timing. Yeah. <laughs> and I, you know, we started talking and I was talking with the provincial government in Saskatchewan and Mark and I were kind of chuckling. I said, I feel like I'm picking up where we <laughs> left off when I did the masters. Yeah, yeah. It, but it was like the almost the logical next step yeah. <laughs> so it was yeah it was kind of fate the way everything came together um so the provincial government um forest service branch in saskatchewan they had a workshop that mark was part of in um, december of 2014 and at this workshop, they brought together a number of forest practitioners, um, government, uh, industry, other stakeholders within forestry. Some Jason's colleagues. Okay. Yeah. yeah. And um, at this workshop, you know, they went through different climate scenarios from, you know, just business as usual to these worst case mm -hmm. scenarios and mad max yeah. <laughs> and what they what they came up with was basically we know we need to do something mm -hmm. we're not sure what that looks like what that is and so I started conversations with the executive director of forestry at that time and um he was willing to provide funds mm -hmm to start a project that used this framework, but we had to have an industry partner that was willing to go through the whole process of the CCFM framework. And the government wanted real on-the-ground adaptation application. What can we really do? Yeah. Okay, we feel that we're in a place that we have a pretty good, solid scientific background for the biophysical pieces. Yeah. And what we can expect generally for the boreal forest mm -hmm. so now we need this with an industry partner and mystic management limited they're a forest company out of meadow lake saskatchewan mm -hmm. and they're 50 percent um owned by first nations oh, cool. by north sask forest products Very which cool. is the only 100 percent first nations owned um lumber mill in mm -hmm. canada and uh 50 owned by um Meadow Lake Mechanical Pulp, which is a pulp mill owned by Paper Excellence. Mm. So it's a really interesting dynamic. That's awesome. And Mystic is the woodlands management group that manages the 1.9 million hectares of the forest management 
area gotcha. for the license. So they've been going since 1998 mm, or 80. I was going to say 97, 96. 90, yeah. That's when they really So they've started. been around for quite a while. Yeah. They're on their second iteration of their force management plan. Awesome. So Great. when we started this, they were actually just starting the process of the renewal for their 20-year force management plan, which was excellent timing. For sure. Yeah. <laughs> so when, when I started this in September of 2015, to be honest, like the general manager and the um, foresters that I was working with there, they were skeptical. Mm-hmm. And they... F- took a look at the framework and felt really overwhelmed and and like how are we did i reading through all the paperwork (laughs) (laughs) and how are how are we how are we going to do this you know and uh the uh manager at the time says you know okay i how are you gonna do this in you know a certain amount of time and we started going through the whole going through the process, starting right from the beginning and and setting the stage for it. And uh, it was really exciting to see that as we move through the different steps of the process, um, it for them, their thinking and their way of approaching things and starting to look at a climate context and just sort of open their minds in that way. Nice. And uh, it was... Um, Yeah, it was exciting to see that and to see that they were starting to identify things that they were already doing Mm. that were adaptations and they were considering them as adaptations to the weather. Oh, I see. Or adaptations to, yeah, well, that was a climate event, but, you know, and really starting to look at what really is climate change and what is climate change on our forest management area mm-hmm. and what does it mean for us yeah. in what we do. And we spent, um, you know, setting the context is sort of the first part after you move through that organizational readiness. Mm-hmm. And that stage, I think a lot of people want to rush through. But yeah, it's, it seems like nothing, right? You're just like, yeah, 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 we're ready. We're ready. Let's go. Yeah, let's go. Exactly. <laughs> and, but we spent a lot of time on really what do we want to accomplish in going through this process? What, because it has to be, it's not one size fits all. Mm-hmm. It's very specific to each individual company. Of course. And we spent a lot of time really working on that and and um used those those pieces as like what do we want to accomplish out of here what are some of the big issues mm-hmm. that mystic sees not what i see right. as a researcher but what they see mm-hmm. because and and i'll talk about this a little bit um further but we're doing this now with more companies nice. and i I may have the skills and and understand this framework Mm -hmm. and how to work through it. But when I'm working with a, an organization, um, it, they are the experts. Mm -hmm. I'm there to help them work through this process Mm -hmm. because it's not what I think is best for them Mm -hmm. or what I think their vulnerabilities are. Mm -hmm. It's my job to bring the science to them, Mm -hmm. to bring the process to them. 
and to help them navigate that process so they don't go down these rabbit holes, which you can do very easily, mm-hmm. um, and help them identify these things and pull those pieces out. Yeah. But it's really them that own it. That's awesome. And it becomes part of their system, Yeah, what they do. You can tell you've really spent a long time thinking about these things because you got it all. You're like, you even got the psychology of people and how to get them to do stuff in there, right? You're like, no, 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 you're going to do it. I'm just, I'm, I'm here to help. But, but I think our experience is that it doesn't take very long before they understand why they need to do this and then they of course, take it. Of course. And that's where we have a huge victory. Yeah. Is that they decide that they're going to make this happen. Of course. With, with yeah. our assistance. Yeah. Uh, sometimes it takes a little bit for them to get there, but once they get engaged, mm-hmm. I mean, Mystic was unbelievably engaged. Yeah. yeah. Even though they're a bit um, lukewarm at the beginning, uh, by the time they started to see the value of this and and why they should go through it, mm-hmm. you know, they just took it and just went nuts with it. Yeah. No, that's awesome. It's great to hear. I, I would expect that from a similar story from probably most industries or most most companies, just because it is like. Like we said, it's that big overlooming thing and you're like, well, yeah, okay, these researchers are going to come in and tell us how to do our stuff, right? But it's like, no, but like you said, you're not telling them how to do anything. You're just like, listen, I know some stuff that can help you guys figure out your stuff. Mm-hmm. Let's get our stuff together to make this work. Right. <laughs> but, but you have to take responsibility. Yeah. That's yes. the thing. Yeah. yeah. And I guess too, like one of the, I think one of the things that has helped me, I guess, in in what I do is that. I come from a forestry background. Mm. I, my dad was a horse logger. I grew up in it. I've worked operational forestry. Some gritty folk I, back then. From all the levels. So yeah. I understand a lot of what they have to deal with. Mm-hmm. And so I think it allows me, you know, with the, with the science background and my academic training mm-hmm. and then with my operational things, um, I'm not there to tell them mm-hmm. what they have to do i'm there to work with them to help them get to the best place for them yeah which is probably why this was successful yeah (laughs) a big reason right because you're not you're you're not standing there being like listen i know best i'm a researcher okay it's like because there's yeah you know what i mean so that's awesome they would get up and leave the room of course they would because anyone would if you talk down to them right it's insane and it's like like you said these these are people that know what they're talking about better Mm -hmm. than anybody else in their area so let them figure this out just give them Show them the way a little bit, right? Give them the tools. Give them the tools, yeah, to do it for sure. That's awesome. Well, when you're working your way through it, it's really exciting to see the, you know, you get in these discussions Mm -hmm. and to see the, you can see the wheels turning and we just get a momentum and get going and be coming up with like, you know, yeah, we're vulnerable here and oh, this will tie into certification Mm -hmm. or this ties into our EMS system. And oh, you know, I see how we can start uh, incorporating this into annual reporting. Mm -hmm. And with the Mystic example, so exciting. Like they have a very big um, or a very, I guess, uh, positive public advisory group situation there. They have worked extremely hard with developing relationships, trust, and communication um, within their forest management area. And that's pretty special. Oh, it's, mm-hmm. yeah, it's yeah. huge. And when you're going through this process, stakeholder um, involvement mm-hmm. and communication is a huge piece of it. Mm-hmm. You don't think that it is. 
but it goes a long way for you, especially when you're trying to move forward, you know, to start mainstreaming different adaptation options Mm -hmm. and to have that, um, that support there is, is a really big thing. You're also helping to educate people Mm -hmm. not just your staff but you're educating the people within the communities and everything that are Mm -hmm. um within your your area that you're operating in yeah and that's a huge thing yeah and the government yeah 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 exactly everyone's got to be involved right Mm -hmm. so but yeah that that public relations thing i think is something that a lot of forest companies struggle with because they don't they, like the whole town meeting right and no one shows up or or whatever right so it's like how do we engage properly so like to, to have a, a a really good example of that i think is is yeah it's pretty awesome i'm sure there'd be there'd be uh there'll be forest people listening to this that want to give mystic a call like, hey what's up what are you guys what exactly are you guys doing down there <laughs> yeah. well and what is really okay so one of the big things that made this project such a success besides the people from mystic that were so committed to it mm-hmm. um and the ownership that they took was actually the provincial government Right. And the people, key people with the Forest Service branch and uh, even right up to the executive director level, mm. um, they have been very engaged in it. They've been very supportive. Mm. And we have come together with industry and with government in having some difficult discussions about where things need to be change how can the results of this work feed into policy Mm -hmm. direction and we're actually moving forward with that awesome which is hugely exciting Mm -hmm. and you know trying to move beyond that regulator industry mentality Mm -hmm. because as we go forward it's better for us to have increased communication between first of all the different government departments Mm -hmm. and also government and industry Mm -hmm. and then to have these like it's almost like building these policy networks Mm -hmm. and having increased collaboration where you're bringing the the industry as part of the process to help guide new policy that's going forward and the government has been really um, receptive to ideas of where policy needs to become more flexible Mm. or more responsive Mm -hmm. um, for potential adaptation options Mm -hmm. and where it currently isn't and we may not have enough scientific knowledge or understanding um, how do we look at uh, building that so that we could potentially move towards something like that mm-hmm. for both parties. Yeah. No, that's 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 very true. I think like one of the things I appreciate most about um at least from my perspective from the industry and and the and the dealings I have with the government, right, is that when we have when something comes up for the most part like yeah, sure they'll put it in the report, but before stuff goes in the report, they give me a call and they go, "Hey, what happened here? What's this all about? And we'll go, oh, oh, okay. And we'll discuss it. And instead of it being this gotcha moment where it's just like, I gotcha, you screwed up. But like, what, what were you doing, you fool? And it's like, so it's nice when it's just, it's just a communication, right? And like, yeah, sure. It ends up in the report and it's whatever, but it's at least where it's, it's not like this. Yeah. It's, it's, it's not a gotcha thing. It's not a thing where it's like, well, I'm, I'm the regulator. I'm, I'm in charge of you. It's more like, it's like, Hey, we're working together. We have the same goals. Let's, let's figure this out and do this. Right. right. So no, that's yeah, for sure. That totally makes sense. 
Like we have a lot of work to do, mm -hmm. but we've already come a long way. Mm -hmm. yeah. And you have to start somewhere, right? Yeah. So, and what is so exciting, I think, is that Mystic, so they completed their detailed vulnerability analysis mm -hmm. back in 2017. Stage three. See, I read the stuff. No. <laughs> well, we've <laughs> at, like they've done they've done the whole framework. Gotcha. Yeah. Once. Okay. We're actually Mystic is moving into its second round. Awesome. And we started that about two weeks ago, and we'll be wrapping up round two of a detailed vulnerability analysis where they go back and they look at all their SFM objectives, and we're actually taking it right down to the indicator level. Mm -hmm. And identifying, seeing where vulnerabilities have changed and things and where um, they need to focus their priorities. Yeah. And actually from 2017 to now, mm -hmm. there are three key indicators that they have that they are designated as high vulnerability mm -hmm. currently. Okay. And they are having trouble achieving them given current management. Yeah. Things that have to change. So it's not that they're looking 20, 30, you know, 60 years down the road for climate change. These are things that they're seeing right now on the ground and it's hitting them hard. Can you tell us what that is? They're, you, they're, you liberty to say? <laughs> they're mainly operations gotcha. issues, access issues. Mm -hmm. um, so issues with, um, well, it's it's been due to weather variability. So your climatic variability with having um, certain um, frequency and intensity of rain events during um, the main haul seasons and not being able to access the wood and get the wood in time to the mill. So not, not freezing up as, as regularly as, as normal type thing? Well, or? we're talking even during during like haul season in the summer. Oh, in the summer too. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So in the um, winter, the problem is this lack of frozen ground. Mm -hmm. And in the summer, it's road washouts from flooding. Gotcha. And, and this is common across the industry mm -hmm. in our part of the world. It's not just Mystic that's having no. trouble with this. Yeah. Anecdotally, I can say that from the people that I speak to, yeah, I, I see the same kind of problems coming mm -hmm. up. Yeah. Yep. Yeah. Yeah. And they're having... So like one of the... One of the issues, you know, they're looking at is putting in more bridges mm. versus culverts. Because when you get a blowout with culvert, it's done. You got to put in a new culvert. Mm. Bridges, you know, they're finding that, yes, it may be more cost up front, but in the long run, it's going to save the money. Mm. That's an adaptation. Yeah. That's an adaptation that's happening now. Mm. Something they need to do. Yeah. Um, working with Department of Highways on the hall limits mm. that are coming on. You get these increased variabilities, especially in the winter, mm -hmm. and you're hauling on those roads that, you know, you get the limits once it reaches minus five, above minus five. So you get, you know, all these days of minus, you know, 20, whatever, and then you get a day that spikes and is above minus five, and there's a hall limit put on on certain gotcha. places. And this is increasing. So how do we start to work with these different government agencies? Because what traditionally has been in the past with like these these dates and these temperatures and the hall limits can't be for the future. Right. So how do we work together okay. to be more accommodating for this? Mm -hmm. um, shutdowns of the mills has happened. Yeah. Because 
the wood is out there and they can't get it to the mill. Yeah, there's a there's a few mills in Alberta where it's happening too, I know. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah, it's definitely a problem for sure. And that's I mean the so one one of the things that we're working on right now that started with the Mystic case study it's uh and Dr. Harry Nelson who is my postdoc supervisor with UBC. Mm-hmm. Harry's a forest economist and we've been working on the business case for adaptation. Mm. And through the Mystic case study, we were able to actually demonstrate to the mills why they need to, you know, have insurance piles, why they need to have the wood sitting there on site, because it's to the point when you can get the wood out, you have to get the wood out. Yeah. So if we've got to put capital investment up front to have wood sitting there, because we're going to have a shortfall down the road because we can't get it out we're gonna have to do that now right. the accountants are changing their tune about that interesting yeah. yeah which is really exciting and yeah and they've already said that and so we're working on developing more in this business case for adaptation because you really need to understand what is this going to cost us yeah you know, and it does help forest managers in the woodlands side of things mm-hmm. um, present their case yep. to the mill managers mm-hmm. for why we need to spend this much money on doing this because in the long run, it's going to cost us less. Yep. But being able to present that case, right, mm-hmm. so that they can do what they need to do out in the ground, but they can also keep the mill in wood. Well, they need support. And keep things right? running. Yeah, yes. the, the foresters can't just do this. They need they need corporate support to be able to pull this off properly. So this needs yeah. to be. Yeah, everyone needs to be involved for sure. Right? right. Yeah. Yeah, it's a tough. It's, but that, that's that, those are excellent examples. I think that really will hit home with a lot of people that are uh, you know, force professionals that are listening. Like it'll it'll be like oh okay like those are things that we can, you know we we have effect over. We can change those things. Mm-hmm. It's not like I have to figure out. You know, if I should plant the seedling that you know belongs two seed zones over in this in this block, it's like no, it's not that. We're, like, this is like, yeah, stuff like that. So it's mm-hmm. no, that's awesome. That's really really cool. So how? So when you when you went to uh, did you guys go to Mystic to get them involved or did they come to you? I went to Mystic. You went to Mystic, yes. and you said that there it was kind of difficult at first, but it, it started rolling. Um, so how did that process begin? Like if if there's people listening that want to get this process going and they don't have the privilege of being able to have you guys there to, you know what I mean? To lead them along. How does that, you know, how how did that start? (laughs) Uh, (laughs) Well, um, they can access the guidebook, the CCFM guidebook. Mm. And um, what I find is you've, You've got to have the buy-in from the company. Okay. I mean, if a if a forest company is going to look at doing this on their own, mm-hmm. um, you need sort of that champion okay. within the company mm-hmm. to, and it it's pretty much a full time job for mm-hmm. about a year. Yeah, mm-hmm. they, um, they require financial and human resources yeah. to make it work. It's not something you could do as a hobby on the side. Yeah, it's yeah. No, mm-hmm. and a lot of I mean, people I work with. So, so we worked with Mystic, and I'm mm-hmm. continuing to work with Mystic. Where Mark and I are, and Harry are also working on um, um, uh, Northern Prairie Regional Integrated Assessment. 
that we're funded through um, partners with industry and provincial government and through Natural Resources Canada. Mm-hmm. And under this, we're, I'm actually doing the same thing I did for Mystic, yeah. but we're doing this with Weyerhaeuser mm-hmm. and Edgewood in Saskatchewan and with Louisiana Pacific and Spruce Products in Manitoba with the Manitoba government and, again, with the Saskatchewan government. Mm-hmm. So we're, it's really exciting for Saskatchewan because they're going to be able to use this to represent sort of all their forest Mm -hmm. regions and area to feed into their policy Mm -hmm. and regulations. And Manitoba government, it's the first one with a forest industry partner Mm -hmm. to do this. So that's exciting for them. Um, Now, when... Your company, if you're going to take this on on your own, um, there's a lot of background work um, to bring together, you know. But a lot of companies, they should have this within their current forest management plan. Mm-hmm. So they should have, you know, their their background. They understand their um, their their spatial area, what scale they're going to look at Mm -hmm. and start to break down those different pieces of the guidebook. Mm -hmm. And I always tell people, don't look at this, the guidebook as a whole. Mm -hmm. If you break, because it's too overwhelming. It is, yeah. It's, it's, yeah. So you have to break it down and, you know, start at the beginning and really spend the time at up front Mm -hmm. because if you set your terms of reference and get a good team core team Mm -hmm. that's really dedicated to do it Mm -hmm. um in place and you know understanding everybody's got to work on the same page even by definition Mm -hmm. because what vulnerability means to one person might be something different to somebody else Mm -hmm. what adaptation means to somebody adaptation and mitigation some people will often use them think that they're using them in the same context right but for this process it's different mm-hmm. so you have to have your whole team that's working on all on the same page gotcha. for your definitions for your goals for what you want to achieve what do you want to get out of this mm-hmm. And have a direction. And what I do with the people that I work with is when we start off each new phase, we always revisit what our original objectives and goals were because sometimes those change Mm -hmm. as you work through the process. Mm -hmm. So you want to even take like 15, 20 minutes and go back each time and say, okay, are we on track? Mm Are we where we want? Are we going in the direction we originally wanted to? Is there something that we want to change? Mm-hmm. Or have we gotten off track? Are we going too far this way and we need to pull ourselves back? Because when you get into some of those areas, like looking at future climate scenarios and things that a lot of people don't have a real strong understanding of, you can go down a lot of rabbit holes looking at models trying to decide what parameter, what models you're going to look at, what scenarios you want to do. Um, and my, from my experience, it's keep it simple yeah. on those stages. Okay. We know what the general impacts of climate change mm-hmm. are projected to be. Yeah. And don't get caught up in the weeds mm-hmm. of it all. You don't have to go out and hire um, um 
big modeling um, expert to do all this expensive modeling for you. You really don't. You know your FMA. Mm -hmm. And you know what the basic knowledge is out there for what's going to happen in your forest for the future. Mm -hmm. So, you know, take a look at that. Mm -hmm. And then based on that and your expert opinion, you can go and you can say, all right, so... Mm -hmm. Based on this, potentially, business as usual approach. Yeah. What do we think would happen up toward up to the end of the century? Yeah. So it sounds like it has to start with, like you were saying, that whole vulnerability thing, right? Like, how do we how do we assess vulnerability and what's vulnerable to these changes? Like you said, everything kind of is, but yeah, it's it's hard to try to like suss out uh, like a step-by-step process, even though you guys have kind of done that with the framework, right? It's still like, I imagine sitting down with your woodlands group and be like, okay, we're going to adapt to climate change. <laughs> uh, what's our vulnerability? And be like, uh, uh, what? what? Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Right. Yeah. Like it's, it, it's interesting that it comes down to those, those basic tenets of making sure that we're all on the same page as far as like what this means and the definitions and the, like, you know what I mean? It comes down to that. Like, let's make sure that we're talking about the same thing first of all, and then get into the vulnerability aspect of it. So something else that is really interesting to me that I think Sherry has found more than once is that the, the process of going through this assessment forces the organization to think carefully about what their management objectives are. And sometimes they've already done that and they know exactly what they are. And other Mm. times they sort of going, ah. Um, And so, and the reason for that is because the framework and the guidebook are all oriented around climate change impacts on those management objectives. Yeah. If you don't know what those are, you can't really do an adequate job of understanding vulnerability. Mm -hmm. And so in some cases they have to go back and think, you know, at the very, very basic level, what are we trying to do as an organization? What's our company's mandate? Mm -hmm. That kind of thing. Um, yeah. And that's always a good thing, regardless of whether it's climate change or something else. Of course it is. Yeah, yeah, yeah. absolutely. Just to make sure everyone's on the same page, always. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I think that's probably something that doesn't happen as often as you'd think. Yeah, everyone kind of is in their own bubble, yeah. taking care of their own thing, and maybe might not be aware of what their counterparts are doing. So, yeah, that's that makes total sense, yeah. for sure. Um, so, with the mystic example, um, let's just keep going down that path and, like, how and how that all went for you. Like, how, we, how can we... Let's think about this. I'm trying to think about how to explain this and how to explain what you did in a way that will help help other people find the context to do it themselves if they have to, right? Well, maybe you could talk about each one of the four or five steps kind of at a general level to get an idea of how it Yeah, let's just do flows. that. Let's do that. Yeah, mm-hmm. that makes sense. So I, I've already mentioned when we started off, you set the context. So mm-hmm. you're in the pre-vulnerability stage and you come together and it's just, it's a matter of just following the guidebook mm-hmm. step by step. And the guidebook has has wonderful um, worksheets mm-hmm. in the back Okay, for every single step. And I didn't see those, yeah. Okay. I used all of those. For some of them, I we took a look at them and felt that um, – they could they were a little redundant Mm -hmm. so there were some of them that i combined Mm. and we made up sort of based on a combination of the worksheets in the back and we 
brought a couple together and mm-hmm. made up one that was just more suitable for that company. Yeah. Um, so you do it based, they're there to guide you. Yep. You can use them just as they are, or you can adapt them to suit whatever your system would fit best into. For sure. So that's what I love about the guidebook because it allow like it has that flexibility in there. It allows okay. you to do that. So that's really the ultimate tool is that guidebook. It yeah. is, yeah, yeah. That's I tell people uh, okay. when I go in and I meet with my I start office, I'm like this is the Bible. This gotcha. is what we're following. And I always like ask them, do you, okay, so do you want, do we want to use, um, amalgamate these? Because I've had the experience of going through this a couple times. Mm-hmm. I know where we can fit things together, yeah. but for somebody who hasn't, following those worksheets and using them and just working through it step by step by step it's you just you complete step one you move into step two yeah um so that's what i did with well that's what i do and that's what i did with mystic Mm. with mystic we were starting this together yeah both of us were fresh at it Mm. um i had the climate change piece to it Mm. And was able to keep pulling them back in when they would go a little too far to be able to start. Okay, yeah, that makes sense. But we're trying to put the climate lens on this. Yeah. So maybe let's take a step back and look at it from a different angle. Um, so I think when you're going through that first stage, as I said, don't discount the value of it. You're going through the context. You set your terms of reference. We actually did a communications plan mm. for the different stages through this, who we were going to have involved as a core team, mm-hmm. and then who we were going to have involved throughout different parts of the process. Mm. And what other resources like people, um, academic institutions, uh, CFS, mm-hmm. et cetera, we had there to draw on if we needed to. Yeah. So we set that all up right at the beginning. Gotcha. And then when you move into the next two pieces of that pre-vulnerability stage, you're looking at your land base. So you're, you set your, your scale. Mm-hmm. What's our, what's our scale? What's the scope? What area, what are we actually assessing? Mm-hmm. So with Mystic, we're assessing their sustainable force management system mm-hmm. for that FMA mm-hmm. for the 1.9 million hectares. So. That means you take apart every piece of their sustainable forest management system. Mm. And you're assessing the vulnerability on their system. Gotcha. Which includes the biophysical pieces of the land base. Mm. But it also includes all those human dimensions and the management So when you were doing pieces. that assessment of the vulnerability of all that, were you doing it as like a, like a roundtable discussion? Or did you have like, were you just doing it? Like, did you have someone up, up assigned to do that by themselves? I'm guessing oh, it was no, a big table. Oh, no, right? because you need, mm-hmm. you need your core team there mm-hmm. to discuss. Because it's not just a... It's not a one size fits all. You can't just go through and check it off and say, oh, yeah, this is a high vulnerability. This is a medium. This is a low. You need to have that dialogue, that discussion, Mm -hmm. because somebody, say, who's in charge of certification versus somebody who's in charge of operations 
may have a different perspective of where that vulnerability level is going to be. Yeah. Um, and so you need to have the appropriate people mm. from your group yeah. at the table. You need all the perspectives, as many as possible. Well, <laughs> you can have too many. Can you? <laughs> and then he won't move beyond. Oh, I see what you're saying. Yeah. yeah. yeah, yeah. Um, too many cooks. Yeah. Yes, but definitely. So when I work with the different groups I've done this with, I work with the general managers mm -hmm. are at the table and then their managers mm. so the sustainable forest management planner um the operations planner certification person um mill manager mm -hmm. uh, so we bring all these people to the table perfect so what i do is i i take all of their their stuff their mm -hmm. Their forest management plans, their standard operating procedures or their standard operating guidelines, um, the whatever the regulations, provincial regulations are. I take all of those pieces and I use them to put into the worksheets. Yeah. And so I will put I put them into the worksheets and then we come back together as a core team gotcha. and we go through and it's not my decision, and nothing goes ahead without their their approval, because it, it's their decision. Yeah, and so we work through it, come to a point where they're happy with that, mm -hmm. with what they've done. Then we move on to the next mm -hmm. step. Mm -hmm. So that first pre vulnerability piece, it's a lot of background mm -hmm. material. It's looking at. Um, taking pieces out of their forest management plan for describing, you know, their soils, their tree species, mm -hmm. the, a lot of the physical components of, of the land base. Um, looking at, uh, you start looking at just general things that they're seeing out there on the land base and looking at um, past climate uh, like looking mm -hmm. at baseline information, yep. mainly for temperature and precipitation. Mm -hmm. You you don't want to go too too crazy into yeah, it. Yeah, you can get carried away. I'm sure you can get really carried away. And then you look at you kind of come to you've got to come to a conclusion or a decision by near the end of that the pre vulnerability stage of what are you going to use as sort of your parameters for looking at climate change? Mm -hmm. So with all the ones that I'm working, I've wor doing currently and, and in the past, we looked at using just the representative concentration pathways. So the RCP 8.5. So um, basically they're put out by those pathways are, you know, put out by the Intergovernmental Panel for Climate Change. Mm. And the IPCC is like the guiding international body for climate vulnerability assessment. Mm. And a lot of the theory, you know, comes from there and and um, foundations for even the CCFM framework. And in this idea of the, the 8.5, um, it's like emissions by the end of the century and and sort of business as usual, worst case scenario. Mm -hmm. And so we just thought, okay, basically Mystic chose to use worst case scenario if, and we just do business as usual, where do we think our vulnerability and our ability to achieve mm -hmm. our sustainable force management 
over different time horizons up to the end of the century is going to be. Because their feeling was, if we looked at sort of what they're thinking is potentially the worst case, we can always adapt it down. Sure. But if we're not considering the worst case, Mm -hmm. then we feel that we'll end up being more reactive than proactive. And Mm -hmm. we'd rather, you know, look at the worst case. But in that, they looked, it was exciting to see them look at, you know, a range. Yeah. Because they, you know, they're forest managers, they're scientists too. Mm -hmm. Um, And they practice their science every day on the ground. Mm -hmm. So they're able to start looking at, okay, well, you know, I don't think in our area we're going to get this extreme, but if we do, this is what we'd look at. But if we don't, these are ways that we can just do modifications or adaptations on the ground that Mm -hmm. aren't so, um, that aren't needed for such extremes. Goes dial it back. Yep. Yeah. For sure. Exactly. Of course, it makes sense. And so then we didn't. We all, everybody at the table, could wrap their head around that. Yeah, that makes sense. It wasn't something that was really com- complicated. Mm-hmm. It wasn't something that we had to spend a lot of time on, mm-hmm. and just was generally okay. Yeah, I understand that, and and generally we think you know this is what's going to change in the disturbance regimes. Mm-hmm. In the boreal, these are some of the issues that science is saying we're going to have to deal with. Yeah. We're seeing it in mo- different different levels, different extremes right now, and there's always going to be uncertainty. Yeah, take climate change out of it, any type of land management <laughs> is uncertainty. Yeah, of course. So we've always had to deal with uncertainty. This is just another piece of it. Yeah. So in our best expert opinion. Mm-hmm. How we can we plan for it? Yep. No, it's 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 really incredible to to see this much detailed information going into all of this, right? Because I think yeah, it'll 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 empower a lot of people to feel like they have the tools necessary to start down this path, and not feel overwhelmed and and and, yep. and feel like they actually have mm-hmm. a means to inflict change, right? So yep. no, that's really really good. So is so it sounds like mystics pretty happy with how this has turned out now that they're they've kind of gone on their own and they're doing doing it the second time around and obviously they're continually thinking about this um have there is it from every aspect of it? like even like, like economically and stuff like that they're they're feeling pretty optimistic that this is going to be the best thing for the future and they're like they're totally on board at this point right like they're not there's no more skeptics in the, amongst the midst <laughs> no they're not skeptical yeah but um I mean, they're dealing with some real serious concerns right now. Of course. Like right on the ground. Mm -hmm. And so um, what they're they're supportive of it. They're optimistic. They see the value in it. Mm -hmm. Um, But what they're doing is that their ideas, they want to continue to do the best that they can possibly do. Of course. And they feel that they still need to do better. Right. They f- they feel like they aren't doing enough and they want to continue to build on this mm-hmm. and to do better. Because they're passionate and they care and they want this to actually work, not just be a well, paperwork they that they sign off on. Well, and they see that yeah. it needs to be done. Yeah. Um, so what's with Mystic, they've looked at their certification. He says, and Mystic is CSA and... Um, FSC certified and 
right now there aren't any standards within that, but mm-hmm. they think like they see it coming down the line yeah. eventually. Mm-hmm. Um, they also know that the provincial government, this is a direction that they want to go and they want to do this because they want to be around. Yeah. Be yeah. what's unique with Mystic being 50% First Nations owned. Now, First Nations don't work in a timeline like forest management planning does. Mm-hmm. You know, they don't plan in 20-year horizons. They look to generations. Mm -hmm. So you've got that much, you know, that long-term piece, that um, real, uh, like it is in my backyard type of thing for them. What's exciting is seeing like a a totally different corporate culture, Mm -hmm. like Paper Excellence, um, working with them because the board that, that runs mystic is made up of of equal parts mm-hmm. um north sass forest products and mechanical pulp so you've got two very different mindsets corporate cultures that are working together and it works to do this and it's working yeah, yeah. that's awesome no it's really really yeah. cool to hear that it's it's timely that you say that actually because like i said that indigenous consultation um, there was a breakdown of a CIF conference that we did that episode, but they were talking about that, the similarities between the two and like the 200 year planning horizons in forestry and the seven generations in first nations groups and that kind of stuff. And like how there's so many similarities and how it, it, it shouldn't be this difficult for these groups to work together, but it is because of perspective and all, you know, history, <laughs> of course, but it's, uh, it's awesome to see, uh, or to hear about, I should say a, like a good example of that where it is working out really well. Right. Mm -hmm. That's, yeah, that's, that's really encouraging actually. No, it's cool. Um, so I guess like, unfortunately we've been doing this for an hour and 15 already goes by quickly. Uh, (laughs) so I want to let you guys get out whatever else, um, whatever you think you need to say to get to kind of, to summarize this issue and maybe get, information out there to people that might want it and where they can find it and whatever. But, uh, well, let's talk a little bit about what's going on right now. So Sherry already mentioned some of this, uh, in 2017, there was the big CIF meeting in Ottawa. Yeah. And at that time, NRCAN had released a call for proposal Mm -hmm. for adaptation in the force sector. Mm -hmm. And so that provided an opportunity to go around and talk to potential partners Mm -hmm. on a project proposal. Okay. So I did that for over the space of a week. Mm-hmm. And came back and we generated a proposal for NRCAN and submitted it in November. And we were successful in obtaining funding mm-hmm. to do another vulnerability assessment following the same guidebook and the same framework. But in this case, we called it a regional assessment mm-hmm. um, because it overlaps between Saskatchewan and Manitoba. Mm-hmm. It, there's there's a large forested landscape that kind of goes right down the border there. Mm-hmm. And the companies in Manitoba and Saskatchewan operate on either side of of those landscapes. Mm-hmm. So we have an opportunity now to kind of do a bigger picture awesome. thing using the same approach, but with more players. And as Sherry said, both industry and government partners directly involved. And just in the last little bit, Ducks Unlimited has come on board. Oh, nice. So we're going to try to do some stuff with wetlands awesome. as well as the upland forest. Yeah. So that's underway right now. And that's Sherry's, a huge piece, actually. I never really thought about that, but you're right. Like, because the forest industry isn't, isn't managing wetlands, right? They're managing right. managing the merchantable right merchantable sites, that, which is upland, right? So that's right. But the point yeah. is that what they do on the uplands has an impact on the wetlands. Big time. You of course. can't separate them. Of course. So we want to try to be a little bit more inclusive there. Mm. Um, and so Sherry's again has had huge engagement from the companies, 
they're really excited about this. Yeah, that's cool. Um, that's very, very so cool. So that has gone very well. And again, the, both provincial governments are very supportive. So yep. that's looking like another big success story, I think. And Louisiana Pacific. Um, so I've been moving through this. We've been moving through it pretty good with um, with the groups. And so I'll be to the point of wrapping it up in March nice. of 2020. But Louisiana Pacific is also going to take a few steps further and they're having me do a big workshop mm. that will bring together all of their staff mm -hmm. and go through the highlights of the vulnerability assessment, do some training with their staff mm -hmm. on how they're integrating mainstreaming climate change and yep. what they're going to do for monitoring and that, but also with the mills, yeah, which is exciting. Yeah. And Warehouser and Edgewood are talking about doing the same thing. And uh, we were doing continued education that with Mystic as well. Mm -hmm. um, so that's really exciting. And then the provincial government is, is getting ready to move towards starting to open up and, and look at some more details of how they can build this in yep. um, at, a, at a larger scale. Yep into what they're doing. Uh, Something else we're trying to crack, as Sherry referred to it earlier, is trying to incorporate some kind of guidance along this line into certification standards. Mm. And so I'm on the technical committee for the Z809 Sustainable Force Management Standard under CSA. Okay. Uh, the last revision was in 2014, and we tried to get a whole bunch of language into the new standard related to um, adaptation and vulnerability assessment. Uh, I don't think they were quite ready for that. So mm -hmm. there's a little bit of kind of voluntary stuff um, in part of the standard, but the the normative standard, which is the part that says thou must do this, 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 <laughs> yep. um, they really didn't want to put too much in there mm -hmm. because they weren't very clear on exactly how that would work. So this is work that need, still needs to be done. Gotcha. And just in the last few weeks, I've submitted a proposal to the Sustainable Forestry Initiative, the other certification yep. body, to, again, they're revising their standard right now, and we would like to work with them on incorporating something about vulnerability assessment into the new standard. So Absolutely. We'll see where that goes. But companies are paying a lot of attention to certification. This is a really important vehicle mm -hmm. for providing that guidance to the companies. So yeah. I'm, I'm hoping that this this goes forward. I think it will. I mean, I think it's inevitable yeah. that it will. It's just yeah. a matter of how how quickly does everybody get on board. Right. And but but it's yeah. an interesting kind of philosophical question because on the one hand you want to give them guidance and tools mm -hmm. to do these things, but on the other hand, if you think about SFI, for example, I've worked quite a bit with them. Um, they have a single standard for all of North America. Mm -hmm. So how do you put guidance in there that applies to? the boreal forest in northern Saskatchewan and the southern pine flatwoods in Florida. Yeah. You know, sure. and everything in between. Yeah. So this is a challenge and I'm not for a minute saying that it's very easy and straightforward to do that, but I still think there's room in a, a certification standard for some kind of guidance Absolutely. that is helpful on the one hand but not so prescriptive mm. that it only applies in one place and nowhere else. Yep. So that's that's work to be done but I think uh, could be pretty interesting yeah well and it's 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 the perfect place for it to be done right because mm -hmm. it's, it's all about sustainability in the right. end right it's like yep. this is not sustainable unless yep. we we roll with the punches right and it's 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 clear that those things have to start being included so mm -hmm. it's no it totally makes sense yeah the 
yeah, it's it's fascinating to see how many things are changing with like you know what I mean. You think about Canada and its sustainable forest management capacity, and and you know worldwide how it's recognized as being you know I mean one of the world leaders and doing it the right way. Mm-hmm. We're still like every time you turn your head, you go, oh, this is more stuff we need to include. This is other stuff we need to include. We're doing this wrong. We need to do, yeah. but it's like we're doing such a good job. But at the same time, it's like, mm-hmm. man, we just it's it never ends. It's just continually updating. Yeah. This has to be yeah, like a rotating yeah. thing, always changing. Yeah, and having talked to certification bodies quite a bit about this, the other thing they're concerned about, which I think is quite legitimate, is that again, they want to provide tools for people to do the right thing and ensure yeah. sustainability, but. On the other hand, they're very sensitive about not overloading mm-hmm. these poor forest managers that are already strapped for time and resources. <laughs> yep. Oh, here's another thing I've got to do. Here's another, you know. Okay, so yep. th- there's that sensitivity and it's a fine line as to how much is helpful and how much is too much. Totally. Yeah. Uh, one thing that was brought up at a conference, a CIF conference one time was a real or- are we asking too much of foresters, right? And it's like, you know, there's something to be said for that, right? Like I, there's, there's a lot to think about, but I don't think it, I don't think we are. I just think it's, like you guys are doing, we're just adding tools to the toolbox mm-hmm. and and helping because the foresters are interested. They want to do this stuff. Yep. It's just a matter of figuring out how. There right? again, it's it's yeah. so critical that whatever tools are provided to them, whether it's certification or something else, that it has to be something that can be built into what they already do. Exactly. Because yes. if they yeah. have to change their way of doing uh, business or decision making, they're just going to get up and leave. Of course. And they've said that from day one. Yeah. So, that's a very important lesson that we've learned and is really, really important. And right. they have they have great set of tools mm-hmm. already. Right. And sustainable forest management, you know, and its theory and its practice is, is a good thing. Yeah, absolutely. And so with this, it's something that we can add to it. Mm-hmm. Um, and the whole idea, right, of sustainability and forestry is to just practice the best forestry that we can. Mm-hmm. So this is a way like things are changing. Mm-hmm. We all know that. Mm-hmm. So how can we continue to do that? Mm-hmm. Um, we may not, some places may not be finding that they're experiencing much, mm-hmm. but it's inevitable. Yeah. So what can you do to help prepare for that? Mm-hmm. So you can deal with it. Absolutely. Yeah. I don't, I don't think you'd be hard pressed to find uh a forester who's like who's not concerned about climate change in this day and age i think mm-hmm. right like there's there's a lot like you said there's impacts that are being visualized today we're noticing right like there's aspen dieback on the in the parkland and there's you know what i mean there's growing problems and like you said access problems and mm-hmm. all kinds of things increased forest fires droughts floods we got every end of the spectrum is is going species wonkers, so, at risk species at risk yeah but i'll tell you it's a big change yeah. Because when we started off on this stuff a long time ago, mm-hmm. there was not that understanding and mm-hmm. that uh, acceptance. Oh, of so course. So that has changed in a really big way. And mm-hmm. I don't think we would have made any progress if that hadn't happened. Yeah. And I yeah. think one of the really important things I feel anyways, personally, mm-hmm. as as maybe part of my role is to help provide information for that gap you know because Mm -hmm. there's a lot of great science out there but as a thinking back to when i was in forest management i didn't have time to go searching for it i didn't have time to read it and then to try to translate it into what it meant on the ground for me so and that was something you know 20 years ago when we were working on this stuff that um, industry was continuing to say. And so I, I think in some ways as 
from the academic end of things and and scientists, maybe we haven't done the greatest job mm. of bridging that or, you know, putting things in a context that can be more meaningful. And I really feel that a lot of the stuff that's coming out of this work with Mystic, with Warehouser, LP, that I'm hoping anyways, that it'll allow, um, that it'll help bridge that. Yeah. That it'll give some of that real, it's like, okay, this is something I can sink my teeth into and grab yeah. onto. I get this. Mm-hmm. This makes sense to me. Totally. People in the U.S. that do this kind of work refer to science management partnerships. Mm-hmm. And that's what we're talking about. Yeah. yeah. No, that's, yeah, that's very cool. It's really good. Yeah, yeah absolutely. Mm-hmm. That's exactly what we need. You're right. But it's, I, I, I think that totally makes sense, right? Because like how many, there's not many people I know that are, uh, you know, working foresters that are going home and reading research papers. No. Right? It's <laughs> yeah. like they, they just worked a 10 or 12 hour day in the bush hauling logs out and now they have to go home and hang out with their family. They're not going to yep. take time aside to read more and learn more. They're doing their part, right? So mm-hmm. yeah, it's, uh, we're asking a lot of them, but it's, it's something that it's, yeah, I think there's willingness there and it's just a matter of, you guys are starting to make it easy, obviously, and you're starting to see those, that gap of information and filling it. So it's, mm-hmm. it's awesome to see that there's people like your, yourselves doing this kind of work because I think it's sorely needed. So is there, is there other people in other provinces you think doing, helping out industry the same way that you guys are doing? Is there other people that like if you're in BC or whatever and you want to reach out to somebody that well, can. Well, BC Ministry of Forests has a lot of people that are very involved in this kind of thing, but I, I don't know that we've seen the kind of work that Sherry's done in the sense of right on the ground working directly sure. with the force managers. One of a kind. That's fairly feel fairly good. rare. Just kind of flex a little bit. Ugh. Well, <laughs> I I mean I do I think uh with the mystic example from my knowledge and I think Mark will attest to this at the FMA level, mm-hmm. it's the it's, first it's the like first. Uh, this kind of assessment this detailed this type of level and especially with mystics starting already on their second round and you know they're implementing monitoring and that out on the ground and engaging even their public or their public advisory group Mm -hmm. in monitoring bc years several years ago had a program called future forests initiative Mm. and they had a whole bunch of funding available in the mid-2000s for people to kind of ask these questions yep and so they funded a whole bunch of projects, and I think most of them were more about modeling impacts oh. of climate change on forest productivity, which which is important, but it's sure. not the whole story. No. Mm-hmm. And so taking it the next step and saying, okay, what does that mean for management? Yeah. How do we incorporate that into your decision-making system? How do we um, uh, monitor and adapt over time? You know, this is a, a an ongoing thing. Absolutely. A lot of that stuff is new. And I think that's, to me, is the big value of this uh, CCFM toolbox is that it provides that structured approach to doing this. Yeah, for sure. And it can be replicated easily yeah. all across the landscape. And it's not about getting the right answer. Mm-hmm. What's the right answer or answers for Mystic or the right direction may be different than what is the right answer for Warehouser in Hudson Bay, Saskatchewan, or Warehouser in Alberta, yeah. or, you know, Toco or Resolute in Ontario. Like, it's not a one size fits all. No. The framework wor- will work for all of them. Mm-hmm. But what each individual group comes up with, mm-hmm. well, first of all, they're going to get as much out of it as they put into it. Mm-hmm. And I'm talking like ownership and effort. Mm-hmm. Don't just hire a consultant and say, here, 
go do this for me. Sure. And walk away, and six months or 12 months down the road, you get a report back. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Because you have to have that engagement from the people that are doing this gotcha. on the ground each day. Right. That's what's going to make it meaningful. If if you really want value for your, your organization, you got to engage in it. you got to own it. Yeah. That's awesome. I think we'll end it at that. That's a good way to finish it. Kick it off with a punch. <laughs> thanks a lot for coming on, guys. This yeah. is like a really awesome conversation. Yeah, Sorry I great. couldn't yeah, let it thanks. go longer, but <laughs> there's always room to do this again. So, uh, sure. yeah, thanks a lot. You do a part two. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> thanks a lot for listening, guys. I hope you enjoyed that. I hope you got something out of that. Uh, I thought that Sherry and Mark did an excellent job of breaking down and unriddling the mystique that is climate adaptation, right? I think I think providing those examples really hopefully help somebody out, help you guys, you know, understand maybe where to start or how to begin and maybe make it seem a little less ominous, right? So, uh, yeah, thanks a lot for listening. If you guys got something out of that, if you enjoyed it, please uh, rate and review on iTunes and all that good stuff. Uh, tell a friend about it. All the ratings, all the reviews, all of the, you know, spreading of the word, it really, really does help out a lot. So I really, really appreciate it if you guys could get out there and do that. Thanks a lot. And, uh, yeah, we'll see you guys next time. Take it easy.